All right. So, um, uh, let me ask this: what uh, what kind of breakdown on this book have we talked about as far as um, kind of dividing it into sections? Dividing it in half: first three chapters and the last three chapters. Okay. Okay. So, first three chapters. How would you characterize them? That's what God has done for us. Okay, good. And then what He expects out of us. And then the last three chapters, what what uh, He expects out of us. How else have you heard that worded? The calling. The calling in the first three chapters, and then what in the last three? The walk. The walk, right? And uh, we're about to hit the pivotal point in that, and um, we'll see... Uh, that transition. Um, so I, <clears throat> I was reading one um, commentator, and he said that uh, this book, if you to kind of give the high level, <clears throat> was uh, this book is God is giving us a new identity. Uh, and the more I thought about that, the more I thought maybe that might be a good description for what's happening here in the calling and even the walk. Um, but uh, so I do want to kind of get our minds in context and in the setting here. So let's go back through what we've covered so far. And you guys just scan through the first couple chapters. And let's let's list up here all the things that you feel like deal with or could be connected to identity. And see if that will give us a little bit different perspective and get this in our heads. So what do you see that has to do with identity? Saints. Saints. Saints and faithful. Okay, good. In Christ. Okay. Adopted as sons. All right. Chosen. Sorry? Chosen. Chosen. Good. Belong to his okay, our who we belong to, good. Alive. Okay, good. Adopted. Right, you got that one. Holy and blameless. Okay, good, yeah. <clears throat> United in Christ. Oh, that's really good, yeah. Okay. Redeemed. Redeemed. Citizens. It's inheritors. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um... Beneficiaries, maybe? Heirs, there you go. But it's just that God is called the Father many times, so. Okay, yeah. Children, good. Uh huh. 
Okay. Saved. Saved. All right. His body. Oh, there we go. His workmanship. Oh man. Maybe home has the mystery. Okay, so we uh, so <coughs> part of our identity is that we're we're in the know, right? <coughs> Bill, do you have something? Well, raised up with him and seated with him. Okay, yeah. All right. I think we proved that. There is quite a bit in the first couple chapters that we could center around the idea of identity, right? So maybe that is a pretty good overview. Um, Think about some of these things before and after. So if you have a new identity, then obviously that means there's a before and an after, right? So all of these things are the after that we've listed. Um, what, What jumps out to you from the before that makes these things really uh, stand out? I don't know if that's a good way to ask that question, but... We were dead. Okay, so we were we were dead and now we're alive. So, I mean, think about identity in um, something that you feel like is just is dead, like uh, a piece of wood in your house, maybe a decoration, and all of a sudden it's a tree. Right, that's living and producing fruit. Um, that's how drastic our change in identity is. What about some of these others? Strangers and aliens. Right, we were strangers and aliens. Like people walking around, they couldn't speak the language, they didn't know what was going on, they didn't know the culture, didn't understand anything, and then all of a sudden, they are citizens... And familiar, yeah, Lloyd. I think overall, just the opposite of all of those. Right. So the opposite of alive is dead. In Christ is without Him, adopted, orphan. Right. Yeah. A- adoption. Yeah. And that that's kind of what I'm looking for. Think about these individually. Um, adopted means that we were orphans before, right? And and had no family to to speak of. Um, heirs probably means that we had no hope for like something that was going to come our way and, and be a blessing where we were destitute and it was all on us to have value we were the only ones that could add value to ourselves yeah, if we were redeemed then we were without payment <laughs> right yeah exactly yeah that uh think of i every time i think of redeemed i go straight to uh ruth and um how her family line was going to just fizzle out and just be forgotten forever. And instead, she was redeemed and she has a lineage like no other, right? In God's people. Yeah? Lost. Okay, lost, right? Good, yeah. Um, chosen, uh, holy and blameless. Um, I think you know when when you are the opposite of holy and blameless when you're when you're considered unholy and just impure, uh, and your identity is wrapped up in that. Um, and I, I can't help but think of the Gentiles here. 
that their identity in God was people, all these people that were not chosen, not holy, not blameless, but rather, and, and now, um, there's this reconciliation and, and like, just think about how much that changes your identity and your perspective. Yeah, Bob? Yeah, in the chapter or two two sons of disobedience actually talking about the people who have not responded. And, and then in verse verse three it says, Among them we too all formerly. Right. Yeah. So. yeah. Good. Without God says it all, I think. Right, Without yeah. God. Yeah. All of this is this picture of the bleak outlook without God. Good. That's a good summary to wrap up. I think we could probably meditate on some of those things and be strengthened by that to see how far we've come in the things that I that we identify ourselves as, right? In the way we picture ourselves and and the way God pictures us. So, um, but let's move on. Um, so, uh, our our text this morning um, starts out with um, a phrase. Um, in the NIV, it says, for this reason, in verse 14, chapter 3, verse 14. Anybody have anything different for that? Okay, so um, Craig hinted at this. So I immediately think, okay, for this reason usually is something you just talked about. So let's go back and, and get the setting right for that. Um, so how, where do we have to go to get the setting for this reason? What this reason is? Back up to verse 1. Okay, so, so yeah, I feel like I'm singing one of the hymns that has all of those returns or to the corner or to the coda. Um, so for this reason... Uh, well, he also said for this reason, and then we said that everything after verse one of chapter three is a, in parentheses. So that's not what he was going to say at first when he says for this reason. So, and he talks about how there was this mystery that's been revealed about the gospel coming to the Gentiles. Then he picks back up. Oh yeah, for this reason. So I feel like we have to go back to chapter two the end of chapter 2 to figure out what that reason is and to put ourselves in that context. So, um, chapter 2, the end of chapter 2, remind me what was at the last half of chapter 2. A a reminder that uh, uh, where the Gentiles were, they are no longer God now makes known the mystery that uh, Jews and Gentiles are all a part of his plan. Good, good. So it is pretty similar to what is in the parentheses, right? In chapter 3. Let's read chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. Uh, Somebody want to volunteer to read that? Chapter 2, verse 19. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints. And are the household, are God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, 
in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Okay, so for that reason, we're going to have a prayer. What's that reason? Somebody put that in your own words. Because we are all one. Okay, we're all one. Good. God's building a new temple. Okay, there's this new building, this new temple. Good. New relationship. Okay, a new relationship. Good. Okay, so in the setting at Ephesus, um, what was the significance of the temple? And why would that be something that he would, that Paul would draw from if he did just write this to the Ephesians? There are physical temples everywhere. Right, there were temples everywhere to every God, right? And so he kind of uses that and pivots on it and says, okay, you're actually a temple, right? So you're a temple. God's building this house. You're all one temple. You're all united in this building. You're all part of this. So for that reason, I'm going to say a prayer, Paul says. Paul says, for that reason. So let's pick up in verse 14 and read through our our text this morning. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than we all, than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So there's quite a bit I think we have time to kind of think of this verse by verse so I want to do that and kind of mine uh, what ideas he's sharing but before we do that just after reading it what jumped out to you as kind of the uh, as some some big ideas maybe trying to put it in that context of we're all one spiritual building one temple How great is the love of Christ? Good. Yeah. The name, in verse 15, the name jumped out at me. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Verse 17, that the whole reason is so Christ can dwell in us. Okay, good. Yep. And the fact that Christ dwells in us. Through knowledge, he, he talks at, about it inner strength. Right. And he repeats at nineteen. Good. No. Yes. Good. Yes, Sarah. 
I find it interesting in verse 19, he wants us to know the love that's greater than we can know. Right. Don't get too far ahead now. That was... <laughs> I was going to challenge you guys with that in a minute. But that's that's good. I, that jumped out to me too. Leanne, you have a comment? That, that concept of being one, I, I think when we think of being family on earth, you know, we all have the same blood running. Right. But this he identifies over and over again as God's power is working through you, through his spirit in your inner being. And each one of us, that's how we're identified. Oh. We each have his spirit in our inner being. And that is what makes us one in family. Good. That allows Jesus to live in us. Good. But the temple is where God dwells. Right. Yeah. Right. Good. Kind of have this like tree imagery with the rooted and grounded, and mm-hmm. that's kind of everywhere. Right, yeah, yeah. One big tree and all different uh, components of that tree. Good. Okay. So, um, so verse fifteen. Well, verse four. Verse fourteen. He kneels before the Father. Verse fifteen. From from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Um, so what significance does that have in this context? Uh, Mark, you pointed it out. Did, did you want to elaborate on... It has to do with authority and honor and uh, authorship. Okay, good. And it also have to do with the Gentiles, too. Okay. Uh, Right, good, yeah. So usually there are people who are part of our family and then there's people who are not part of our family, right? And here it says, who is part of this family? Every family in heaven and on earth has this same name. They've all got the same last name now, right? Good. What else? Any other significance that this has in it's kind of in this context? That, that we all have the same father. Okay, yeah, good. So, so yeah, there's that familial relationship in respect to our father. Good. <clears throat> Anything else? <clears throat> yeah. Maybe the reason why Paul falls on his knees is a little harder for us today because we don't really, I mean, we we don't maybe struggle so much with that Jew-Gentile disconnect. Right. Because we don't live in first century, you know what I mean? Right. But maybe we do see a lot of disconnect in our world about ideas and different people from different places. Maybe not so much a spiritual thing as the Jews did, but I think that if we can understand God's love in the sense that he puts up here of bridging gaps bridging people that's pretty powerful Um, in verse 18 he says may you understand the power uh, may you understand the power as all God's people should and sometimes I wonder like you'll know them by their fruits if this is one of those definitions if you see someone who claims to be a Christian but who hates others for whatever reason then it's it's uh, it's a moment to humble yourself to say man I need to make sure I'm got my my heart in the right place right right yeah very good. And two, think about how that's wrapped up into identity and I, identity politics today. 
and just how everybody identifies themselves like there's this hierarchy of this is who I am first and foremost like and sometimes that's like sexual preference if that's the number one thing that I that that I identify with and how how sad that is when this is the identity God gave us um, and that again that that familial um, relationship there uh, that yeah that, that kind of that would go into that and just really impact the way you viewed everything else in life right that Jill um, to me it just shows I mean, it's kind of incomprehensible how big God's family is because it talks about every name in heaven and like I don't claim to know the answer but it just it makes our family just seem so much bigger than maybe we can comprehend and that we actually have knowledge of you know, if there's like this cosmic component as well right good Good, yeah. Luke? Yeah, so to your point about identity, if you look at our identity before, you can negate every single one of those on the list except for one. And that is predestined. Okay. That's key because the the thing that changes us is actually God. Okay, so it's credit to Him. It's not a credit to us. He could have just let us go down that path. Right. He would have been fine to do so. It was our own fault, right? But He was the one who switched that, which is why He makes it, it's about the love, His love. That's the difference. That he set our set us on a different direction, a different trajectory. Right. Yeah. 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 It, it is interesting. Um, um, I I do feel the pressure or the pull to um, jump into chap the chapters four through six when we're talking about this, and and I think that's natural that we would go, oh, this is what God has done, so I really need to get my act together, and, and there are lots of things I need to be doing. Um, and so it's hard sometimes to to not pull that back into what God has done. And I noticed uh, this, this time, in chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision. And then there's parentheses, which is done in the body by human hands. So he's, it's almost as if, maybe I'm reading into this, but Paul is saying, okay, even circumcision is not what God did to you for your calling. Because that was done by human hands. A, a man can determine that. Only God can determine your true identity. And he's even reminding them, like as, as big of a deal as circumcision was to the Jews, that was done by human hands. And he, at least in, in the NIV, there's this parentheses, Almost to say, now, I'm not saying that's nothing, but remember, that's that's done by human hands. And I'm talking about all the stuff that God did. Um, and so, God gives us this family. <coughs> okay, anything else uh, from verse 15? This idea, every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Okay. Verse 16. 
says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So how how is one strengthened through God's spirit in our inner being? talking about you know the things that God has done and, and just thinking about how how great and magnificent he is I, I kind of think of like a king that's so rich that like as he walks by the crumbs that he drops are is more gold than we can imagine like just just the extra from God would be enough to fill our inner being but he is purposefully giving us and doing our Good, good. Yeah, that's that's a neat picture to think of how how great God is that just just the being being near and picking up crumbs is strengthens us. This this thought about identity really strikes me. You know, what you said. A little while ago, you know, if, uh, your sexual preference is your identity. Uh, there, there are a lot of other things. Uh, you know, our physical family sometimes ends up identifying. We become identified as husband and wife. That becomes our main focus. But even those things, even good things, cannot be our focus if we have the right attitude about all of this. Good. Yeah, the right attitude. Yeah. It seems like the right attitude um, might be synonymous with the inner being, our inner being. Um, any other thoughts on that? I don't want to um, just lecture here. But. It just makes me think about in the Gospels when Jesus leaves and says he's going to send the Spirit. It's like this This is kind of like the other side of that. He says only because he did that can Christ live in you. And I just think it's it's the, like the end cap of that thought from Jesus. Good, good. Yeah, again, we're still in the chapters where this is what God has done, not what we do. But And maybe there's overlap in, in some of that where our attitude kind of helps and, um, accept and receive God's blessings. But, yeah, it's... Um, well, it does say, made well in your hearts through faith, which right. is a requirement of ours. Good, good. So, through faith, good, yeah. Good. Any, any thoughts about um, verse 16? Um, how we're strengthened with power through God's Spirit in our inner being. Yeah, Jill. I just love that's something we can pray for. Like we might not understand the exact mechanism, or we won't understand that. Right. This is this is what he is praying for for these Christians. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Mark. I think that's part of what Bob mentioned a minute ago. Verse thinking about the knowledge. Yes. Brings us back to. Yeah. So Tim Keller. Um, uh, <clears throat> did a sermon on on this and it was really good um, I'll if you like to listen to it um, it's very powerful um, I'd be happy to share the link to that um, and he talks about how important the inner being is versus the outer shell versus our our outer being um, 
And he says, if your inner being is in turmoil, then you're going to have a great struggle to keep the outer being at peace and um, have strength in your outer being, right? And I think we've probably all been there where we've tried to put on uh, a facade that masks what's really going on inside us when there's inner turmoil. But if you flip it, um, and he says, you may try and even be successful at times, but you won't have true peace in in, in, in strength. And when a test comes, your outer facade is just going to crumble and fall and you'll just be in a heap because your inner man is not strengthened. Um, but on, if you flip that and you strengthen your inner being, then it's going to naturally flow to your outer being, right, Lloyd? I know that this we started in 14, but that just keeps drawing me back to 13 where he says, don't lose heart when I go through these troubles on your behalf. Don't lose your faith. And that's why he says, for this reason, he bows and then he prays that the Spirit of God will affect the inner man. Like you're saying, the outer man is going to crumble. Right. And so he's saying that he wants them to have the Spirit of the inner man and to strengthen the faith to uh, continue on and not lose heart. Right, yeah. Bob? Seems similar to what Peter wrote in Second Peter. Uh, when he there in the first chapter in the fourth verse he said that we would become or can become partakers of the divine nature oh good like that. this just kind of mirrors that right that yeah similar thing yeah good and good we really struggle with that how can I be like God but uh, to the degree he wants us to be we can right yeah um so Paul's saying that if you're truly strengthened in the inner being, then everything that happens on the outside is just like mosquito bites. Um, when your inner being is strengthened. Uh, Dr. Lloyd-Jones, I think he's a Calvinist writer, but I thought this was really good. He says, the ultimate trouble with the non-Christian, and uh, we'll read this and see uh, you know, if the, if the boot fits kind of deal, right? The ultimate trouble with the non-Christian is that he knows nothing of the inner being. His whole life is bounded by what he's aware of, that is to say his sensations within himself and in his correspondence with the world of the things that can be seen and felt and handled. That is his only and total life. He has no inner being to retreat into in times of trouble and stress and trial. He's dependent completely on the circumstances of his outward life. He lives in one realm only, and so when he's distressed, he has to fall back on psychology or drugs or various tricks that he does to himself. And that's because he's not strengthened in his inner being. Um, And sometimes I wonder how much the flesh is pulling at me and out of my inner being. Thoughts? Yeah. That reminds me of uh, James two, uh, James three, verse two. Uh, for if we stumble, we stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, and able also to battle the whole body. Oh, good. Yeah, very good. 
Okay. Um, any any other thoughts about through there? Yeah, Luke. Yeah, to your point about the inner being and outer being, we have to remember Paul's situation here, right? They call these yes. epistles. And most of the time, if you go to somebody who's in a jail and say, hey, you know, how you feeling? And be like, oh, yeah, the, I'm in jail. How do you think I'm feeling? Right. And Paul's like, oh, man, let me tell you about Jesus. And then he gets, just stumbles over his words because he just can't seem to get them out fast enough. It's a totally different attitude. Right. Because he's strengthened from the inner being. Yeah, very good. Yeah, and that, I, I did meet, kind of intend to get us in, in that context too. From verse 13, you know, Paul's in prison. So you think he's probably under some distress from the outward, from outward circumstances. And then he says, don't be discouraged. Or does anybody have King James or something different there in verse 13 of chapter 3? Don't lose heart. Don't faint. Right? So here Paul's writing to people who are so distressed that they are there. He's saying, don't faint. Don't faint on me. Don't lose heart. That's the context. And so he prays this prayer for people who are, are so distressed and upset that they're about to faint. Right? Or lose heart. Or be totally discouraged in this faith. Okay, so verse 17, um, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Okay, um, what what stand what stood out to you in that in that verse? Challenge to comprehend. Right, challenge to comprehend. Good. Which is a, which is somewhat attainable. Right, right. <clears throat> yep. 